Julia Hampton and Julia E. Hampton CPAPC have been your trusted sources for local tax preparation, payroll, and business services for more than 20 years. Do you have a tax strategy heading into 2019? You should. Well, unless you like being in trouble. Do you like being in trouble, Jason? Uh, no, but I'm remarkably good at it, regardless of whether I have a tax strategy or not. Well, look, if you have a bad tax strategy or no tax strategy at all, there's one person in town that can help you, and that's Julia Hampton. Call her today. She's right in the heart of downtown. Call her at 816-554-0394. It's fun because I like watching different conductors. Me personally, I will listen to, like, let's say you have two different instruments playing the same line, right? Well, it's not enough to have, like for example, just happened last night, we had the cello section and the trombone section playing the same line. Well, the trombone section, there was more of them being heard than the cello section. Mm -hmm. And so I look at those two lines and I say, that's not what I want. I want a cello. Always want cello more. I want a cello donut with a trombone center. And so like he's I, good at those analogies. Yeah, and I tell Very them, good. I want to create a new instrument for the audience. And if I want a little more of one instrument than another, it's going to be called a cello bone. If I wanted trombone a little more, it'd be a trombocello. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah. And I say that, and, and especially with my younger groups, like the youth symphony, they know my terminology. So I say, I want a flute bow here. And that means I want a little more flute than oboe. Like, let's say if you took Schubert's Unfinished Symphony, right? I want a little more clarinet than I want oboe on the beginning of that. And I want a clarobo. This is Russ Berlin and Kurt Mosier. Russ Berlin, Kurt Mosier, welcome to Community Voices. Thank you. You guys are now the, and tell me if I get this right, you are now co-directors of Lee Summit Symphony, is that is that correct? We are the frickin' frack. <laughs> Mutt and Jeff. Yes. <laughs> and you have gone all the way from teacher, Russ, student, Kurt, mm-hmm. and now working together, you both have, have conducted the Youth Symphony for Kansas City, mm-hmm. and now you're sharing duties with, with Lee Summit. So let's let's go all the way back a little bit and how, and how you both first met when Kurt came in as a student, Russ. Uh, Kurt can probably talk about this too, but the first, my first memory is uh, he was playing euphonium in the Raytown High School Band, and I was visiting his band director, uh, Barry Hartman, and uh, I listened to him play, and I could tell what kind of talent he had and, and made a man. Uh, I, I said something to him like, you, you're really doing a great mm-hmm. job back here. I remember that. So uh, uh, that's my first memory. And then uh, I watched his career at Ray South uh, when he was there. Uh, we did a, a trip together, on an ambassador trip together with he and his wife. And uh, from that time on, I saw what he did at Raytown South. And when I decided to go to North, when the two high schools split, um, I really – Push to have Kurt come. So and you recruited. I, I did my best, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it really, I it, I had no doubts. It really worked well. I, was, I, I mean, he came into Lee Summit, did a great job there, and then eventually went to Lee Summit West. I don't know if he wants to add to that, but uh, 
he's done an outstanding job and already in the Lee Summit Symphony too. Well, let's start a little bit as, as, as when he caught your your eye or ear, as we'll mm-hmm. say here, um, as, as a student. So, you know, I have a little bit of music background, more of a sports background. So what what catches your eye, your ear, when you hear a student? I mean, what, what was it that stood out and said, he's got something? It's a good point. Uh, I I think it's my ear. Uh, he has an the passion. ear. Uh, not, not to toot my horn, but <laughs> Russ's groups always play perfectly in tune, his student groups, and, and uh, very musically expressive. And he just never stops on the teaching front. So his ear is just off the charts. Oh. Very good. That's nice. Thank you. <laughs> is there money being exchanged no, here? No, no. It's, it's the way it rolls. <laughs> so I, I guess I'm trying to get a better feel for the what kind of what jumps out when you, when you hear a person play and it makes you pause. I, I think it's the passion. I, I, I can hear that. And I can watch people. Too and I, I don't know. That's, mm-hmm. That just stood out to me. Where you can feel kind of the emotion. Yeah, it just wasn't notes on a page. Mm-hmm. It was, I could tell some of his personality. It's outgoing. Uh, is that um, something natural for you, Kurt? I mean, is that is that because I know there are there are different styles of play. There are some people that right. are really great at technical. They're going to hit every note mm-hmm. perfectly every time. There are some that that. Emotion is what carries them. Mm-hmm. And, well, I, actually, and I guess there are some that do both. Yeah, but. mine would be a little different than either of those. Um, and I, I do remember this in my euphonium. Uh, when he saw me, I, was, I believe I was playing euphonium. I was a trombone euphonium. I have a performance degree in that. And um, my big deal, even in high school, was if it does not sound amazingly beautiful, it's not worth listening to. For example, if we had a chipmunk who was an amazing singer, sing the national anthem, everybody would think it was funny or wouldn't realize, even if the chipmunk had uh, amazing abilities musically, their sound would not be produced well enough for anybody to uh, actually take a deep breath and go, ah. So I do remember um, every time I'd play a solo at State or whatever, judges always commented on my sound because I thought that was the number one thing. And I do remember at your building and says something, you remember that. And he he commented on a respected teacher comes up to you that's not at your building and says something, you remember that. And he he commented on And every Friday we had a famous composer come in and, and use our band as a guinea pig. His name was Claude T. Smith. He wrote for the Air Force Band, and I mean, he was he was internationally known. Uh, unfortunately, he passed too soon out of this life, but he was good friends with my high school band director, Barry Hartman, so we had a lot of special things in music, like Russ and, and other directors in to, to learn from the best in the group, so we had a lot of special things in music, and that's how we became friends. But I think it was sound, uh, the actual sound of the instrument. So we know a little bit going to be of teaching and conducting. Was that was that all for you, Kurt? Draw for you? No. Did you know that uh, it was matter of fact, uh, I never planned on being a teacher or a conductor. Uh, I started playing piano professionally while still in high school with an old Dixieland band. Uh, played stride. Then they found out I could sing, and before I knew it, I was fronting this Dixieland band as a singer performer. Uh, from there, I. Um, I went to KU, and the only reason I went to KU was because an old girlfriend went there that I was dating at the time, 
And then the only reason I majored in music, because I didn't think past my face, was because it was the only thing I could really do well. So I decided, well, I'll major in music and see what happens. You just described 80% of uh, high school to college yeah. transition. I and, followed the yeah. person I was dating, right. and I had no plan. Right. And she's wonderful. She's a professor at Ithaca of, of oboe, that lady now. Uh, but um, I went to KU, and I began playing uh, professionally in town. Uh, I sang and, and performed in the shows at Worlds of Fun one year. Then I played piano for Worlds of Fun, met a lot of musicians there. Then I played piano and sang at... Um, Tiffany's Attic, which was a dinner playhouse at the time, uh, and continued to play professionally throughout Kansas City, the country club circuit. Uh, got to um, perform on a cruise ship going out of New York to Bermuda. Um, uh, just did a lot of um, interesting showbiz things. At the time, I was getting my music degree. And so when I got my music degree in college, you had two tracks you could go. You could either go performance or education. Well, I never planned on being a teacher, so education didn't appeal to me. And I thought performance was ridiculous because they were only um, they were only developing musicians in that time really for the classical uh, era, and I didn't want to play trombone in a symphony. And I was already making money, uh, actually very good money for a college student at the time, uh, performing, so I'm like, I don't need... Uh, so I defaulted to get the music ed degree, uh, got it, uh, ended up kind of uh, uh, cheating and uh, student taught with my high school band director because he was at a different school and they didn't know that, so I lied. <laughs> and that's not good. You know, you should but, never you know, lie. Cheating and education degrees yeah, are, really, are two words we don't Yeah, they don't go together. Often. But I did student teach with my... Um, high school band director. One good thing that, about that was he just simply gave me the freshman band. He, uh, we, didn't, we didn't take two weeks to get to know each other because he knew me and knew what I would do. He just gave me the freshman band. Well, we ended up going to um, festival, or uh, they call it state large group festival, got the first one in the history of that school for the freshman band. Uh, with me that year. So that district just kept calling and calling after that happened for me to become a director there. And uh, I was on the road performing and wasn't going to and kept put, uh, matter of fact, um, this will date me, but uh, I had an interview with the superintendent of Raytown School Districts, Bob Atkins, Dr. Atkins was his name. And I was driving to the interview, but one of my professional musician friends was on the radio being interviewed, and they were having call-ins. So I pulled over at the Wendy's that was on 63rd Street in Raytown to a phone because we didn't have... <laughs> and, I, and I was calling into the radio station and giving him uh, trouble on the radio and laughing when I was supposed to be at my job interview for teaching, <laughs> and I was late to that interview. So... This Being is not a, the story you tell your students. Oh, I've told them. They just think that's <laughs> hilarious. You know, I, and then so I, I accidentally became a teacher. They, they hired me. Uh, they asked me to wear a tie, you know, the first, every day of school for the first three years uh, because I looked too young. And uh, from there, Russ and I had always kept up and known each other. But I was at Ray South, he was at Lee Summit, and we were just, we were now colleagues because I was hired for orchestra, which was not what I had planned on teaching. So I went back and took private lessons on violin. I took, I went to every workshop possible. We went to workshops together, and uh, we were just really great friends, and I leaned on him a lot for uh, knowledge and, and uh, what is it I'm doing here, uh, because he was established. How hard is that transition? You have band brass background, mm -hmm. 
and now you're picking up strings. And I and I know musically you can pick things up, you but know. you know I have like I said, <coughs> I have a little player. bit of, of music. Yeah, but and I played the cello, but mm-hmm. I don't think I could pick up a, a wind or a brass mm-hmm. instrument. No, I think music is music, and every experience you have adds to it. Uh, and I did just like Kurt. That's how I started. Actually, uh, some of what I did in college, uh, he was talking about, I did the same thing. I wanted to be a performer and uh, was on a USO show, uh, which was at K-State, went to the Far East. And I thought, I really like this. And uh, so I made a lot of money uh, as a student there. And then when I came to Kansas City, I played for a while. Uh, But uh, I got hooked on teaching really early. Uh, I gave private lessons as a a student at K-State and uh, now to go back, I do. I went to KU later and got a master's. Mm-hmm. So Kurt mentioned KU, but uh, we were similar in some respects. But I think learning the string instruments, uh, I just listened uh, to everything I could. Went to uh, I, I listened to colleagues who were string players and uh and of course no two string players ever agreed so you know you have to keep uh and the more i taught the the better i got Uh, i thought when i first did orchestra at lee summit high school that uh because i at that time you did band and orchestra and the whole schmear but um i i i loved the sound that a full orchestra makes, and I was sold. I was in love right away. I thought, I this is this is what I want. So I started. I bet I had some student leaders that I learned more from that year, because they they were so good. And I said, I said, well, how do you do that? How do you, you know, how do you get that sound? So, and then I went to work with Glenn Block at UMKC on my doctorate. So, uh, I got a lot of insights from him too. So. Well, before we, before we move on, I want to talk a little bit about about education and how that kind of both grabbed you, even though that wasn't your wasn't your original mm-hmm. plans. But mm-hmm. I want to I want to peg on something a little bit there. I know um, on our on our sports podcast we talk a lot about the good coaches encourage kids to play multiple sports. The good coaches and teachers encourage involvement in multiple things. Do you encourage that to musicians too to to pick up more than one instrument to take up choir? as well as band or orchestra? That's a good is, question, isn't it? Is, is that a, it used to be easier. Deal? I think it's difficult now because you have all the IB and the, uh, all of these academic programs, and I think it's still done. I think Lee Summit is uh, by and far uh, one of the best school districts because in music because we uh, kids can do. It's a struggle to keep him in. I don't know, Kurt would, since he has taught later than I did, because I retired in 99, I, I feel like teaching is really tough now. I, mm-hmm. the teachers have it uh, really hard. They And they have to get along, all of the staff members, because you're sharing kids. And But I thought that it was best that kids uh, sang, got that experience, uh, we had wind players that were in band, and uh, I, I've always enjoyed band. I just like the orchestra sound and the repertoire better. So, 
I don't know I, if I that answer is maybe. Important. Yeah. Uh, I think Kurt can answer too. You know, I played uh, when I when, when I started teaching orchestra, I had already I already played double bass, string bass in high school. I I was self-taught, but I I knew enough about the instrument and I'm a piano player and I have a performance degree in low brass and I also play all of the little things like anything from harmonica to tin whistle to everything. So, uh but um and out of saying all of that, the most money I made professionally was singing. And I studied with an opera star at KU, you know, so I have quite a vocal background. And every time I hear an instrumentalist play, sometimes, especially students, I can go, ooh, you're not a singer. Your, your line is not That's singing. A good point. <laughs> you are not playing with line. You need, to, you need to get in choir and start understanding a vocalization because really instruments were created to mimic, our string instruments were created to mimic the human voice. And when a student plays with a, a bow technique that doesn't have line, you can hear it. What do you mean by line? Uh, like when, when you, like let's say if you chop something up, I'll, I'm going to sing the national anthem uh, part of it with no line. It's, and it's usually how high school girls love to sing it. Oh, say can you see by the time? You know, they're just <laughs> bubbling everything and over-emotional. If it has line, it's, oh, say can you see by the... And then that has line, and that moves people's soul. Yeah, amen. And uh, <laughs> instrumentalists who play without line are allowing the technical issues of their instrument and the physicality of their instrument to control the music when it should be the other way around. Where are we taught that? In vocal music. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. And that goes back to, I think, the original thing we talked about, the sound. Yes. That's right. It has to, it has to have sound, the line. It, otherwise, this sounds terrible and jaded, but it's not worth listening to at a professional level. It could be fun to go clap politely at a school performance if that's what they're at. But these students can be amazing. Uh, Russ touched on uh, the academic programs are making it very difficult. But if you look at the, the United States educational system, uh, we're very unique because we include sports and music and the arts within the education of the, uh, the, f the fundamental education, you know, reading, writing, and arithmetic. Well, if you go to Europe, they don't do that. So we're trying to keep on par through our IB and our, our AP programs with Europe but they don't include sports and music in their schools. So this has led to a compression of our students in a very difficult situation in the United States because we want our cake and eat it too. We want to compete with the, uh, the Norwegian schools in academics, yet we want to keep the unique U, uh, United States experience for our students to be, quote, well-rounded through sports and music. And this is where the push or the crunch when he mentioned that it's not as easy anymore because we were not doing that through the majority of his teaching career and through half of my career, we weren't worrying about that so much. So we were able to produce publicly musicians that just soared. Now, if a musician wants to soar through a public school system, they're going to be going to summer school, high school online, just to even be able to enroll in, the, right. in the uh, music programs. So it's a much more difficult world. So how do you, I guess... Uh, uh well, as former educators, mm -hmm. <laughs> how do you find that balance and that way to push those things through? That's very good. I'll let Russ start with that, and then I'll answer <laughs> it. How do we find the balance in what to push what things through? What what? Well, are you I guess you know what, what what you were saying is they've got to do things outside of school in order to be ready to apply for those other music programs after high school. So how can you how can you within the confines of our public system? Mm -hmm. 
how can you how can you prepare and train a student to excel at everything but still be ready to apply to a what program are you are you talking are, you, are we talking to Juilliard are we talking you know in Europe and some of those programs how do you how do you how do you balance that I have a two hour long answer to that <laughs> Russ can start if you'd like uh, I understand what you're saying uh, when I first did like the band uh, at Lee Summit I had quite a in and the orchestra we we had quite a few people in sports on teams and uh, I remember one time we were marching and uh, I had a student that came he had had an injury a football injury he marched with us with crutches I mean uh, and I just think that uh, you look at the people in other areas of education uh, most of them have music training or or athletic training. I mean, they, uh, the th- nice thing about music rather than uh, sports sometimes is no matter what your age, like myself, you're still in music. You can still perform, whereas, you know, your body started giving out and uh, for a lot of athletic endeavors. I don't know. That's one thing. But uh, I just think it all works together. The best students, everybody wants the students that want to, you know, achieve Right, you know, and um, I I can't imagine going to school without having music and sports. I just it's it's a necessity, and I think that's what uh, a lot of the problems are with kids getting out of school. They they don't have anything to enjoy. I mean that that changes their uh, their soul, uh, if that makes sense. I just think they need something else to uh, be a whole person. We, uh, Maybe you can elaborate yeah, on have, what I'm saying. Uh, this gets into a lot of philosophy that I have about education, and we need to be developing well-rounded people who are uh, aware in er- in every area and maybe excel in a few. Um, As a father, I have four children, and we said, we're building Renaissance kids, so you have to play. This may sound a little harsh. (laughs) You have to be academically sound. You have to be in a music program, and you have to play a varsity sport. Uh, I said that to all four of my kids, and they all did that. And, and the reason we did that is if you are intelligent and you are off the charts smart, but you do nothing physical, you're going to develop a very large egghead with no body to hold it up, and you'll fall over, and you'll hurt your brain. If you develop yourself physically and you're an amazing athlete with no mental capacity, you're going to be a little pinhead giant who can't make a decision for yourself. So we need to be, we need to be smart, healthy, and we have to need to be have the arts to well round out because what happens in in music when you're phrasing and shaping and doing everything you're really exploring the gamut of emotions in a safe environment and you're melodramatic if i want to play with anger you're going to i'll actually scare you if i want to play with beautiful line and 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 a touching moment i'll actually make you cry where else can you be melodramatic and explore the edges of your own emotions where it's safe like that and you can actually work some things out uh, through music so but when that's you right. combine music sports and the academics all together that's when we have really well-rounded people i may have gone overboard with the varsity deal with my kids <laughs> uh, but you know two of them went on to play div 1 full ride scholarship sports i mean the, it worked for them, and they get to choose. 
They didn't necessarily have to be in the AP or IP, IB advanced academic programs unless they wanted to. Uh, one of my sons is like a, a, a giant egghead intelligent, and he did IB, and uh, he's very intelligent. And, and uh, you know, they all have their strengths and weaknesses, but I feel good about the net of influence that we spread over their lives through academics, music, and sports all together. That's why I believe the American system within balance is very good. Good, but we mm -hmm. have to be balanced with what we do. So when you're talking about, are you going to make it to Juilliard, right? I don't care if my students make it to Juilliard. If that's what they want, they will seek out the proper private teachers and the and the, and the um, opportunities to make it to Juilliard. Our program is to build uh, to develop excellent musicians within the framework of time that we have them and with their eyes and ears open to what the possibilities are. And if they become a monster musician, that's a byproduct. Because if we make that our goal, we're going to become possibly Toscanini-ish, which means uh, brutal towards these students to reach that musical goal at all costs. So that's kind of my philosophy on mm -hmm. uh, education music. Well, I think that starts to give us a little insight into where I wanted to go go next was what flipped kind of that switch for you where, where education and, and being a teacher became the passion. It wasn't your plan. Mm -hmm. It wasn't your goal, so that so, was now that was both of us. Right. It wasn't his yeah, goal either. Yeah, yeah, for 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 both of you. So what was it that kind of flipped that and started developing what you just talked about, mm -hmm. where this 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 passion and the and the need to play a role in that in that shaping of the well-rounded student? What what? And I'll throw this to both of you. What what kind of was that? Was it a long process? Was it was it an event mm -hmm. in your life? I think it was. Uh, one other thing I did like Kurt was that I was able to student teach with my old teacher and pretty much got the same thing you did, uh, just left me alone. Because Which is scary they knew, and awesome. Yeah, yes. but you learn quick. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, I, I don't know, I don't want to jump ahead, but uh, you know, we're talking about the Lee Summit Symphony too. That was created because we have people that were trained in, in the schools that are well-rounded and they miss something in their life. They graduate, come back, they, we, we have all kinds of occupations. And here they devote their time every Monday night rehearsal and all year because they love it. You know, it's just something they've got to do. But I, I might have diverted a little bit, but I wanted to kind of... That's a good tease for later on. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I it just, I see that every time, and I see more and more people that want to be in it, that we've had as mm -hmm. students say, you know, and we don't even have, uh, in some sections, we have, you know, don't have any openings. It's hard now to get in, but... It's got to be a nice sense of pride too, as a teacher, it to is. see former yeah. students. It's a very still playing I, as adults, I think no matter it's what, what they've it's done. All about. Yeah. <laughs> it makes me thankful that um, you feel like you did something right mm -hmm. when when people want to come back and be involved in the Lee Summit Symphony, uh, especially former students, which Rush has the orchestra full of them. I have a cellist that just graduated a couple of years ago that's playing with us right now. He's marvelous. He was an all-stater for three years. He's an amazing musician. And the fact that somebody of that caliber would want to come play with their old teachers, that's, that's really special. Yes, it is. I would think that, and, I, and I'm going to come back to you in that, that moment to kind mm -hmm. of flip for you, but I would think as a teacher, you don't always see immediate, that immediate, oh, I did something. 
And so I would think that, you know, years later, whether it's two years, five, ten, whatever, you see a student come back wanting to play, still play, and mm -hmm. still play at a high level all those years later. It can, can really do a lot for and make you feel good about what you did and the impact you mm -hmm. had. Mm -hmm. I have a student that comes to mind particularly who was struggling in high school because his mother had passed away or he didn't have a mother. And his dad was also struggling, um, possibly with too much alcohol. And so I was very early in my career, like the first year. So I took him under my wing. He got kicked out of band on saxophone because he was uh, causing some trouble. But I really liked him. And so I said, hey, you want to play bass? I'll teach you how to play string bass. And he goes, sure. And he, he, he got a one on his bass solo mm -hmm. that year at State. And so he became very special to me and a very special musician. Uh, no, so uh, then after high school, he played professionally in bands, played bass, and then I lost track of him. And um, I was at a bass, uh, international bass workshop held here in Kansas City, and this man kept staring at me. And uh, I'm like, what are, you, what, what are you doing? And he came over and said, you're Kurt Moser, aren't you? I said, he goes, yeah. And he told me his name, and it was him. Mm -hmm. And this is a kid that had brought um, a, a pistol to school in his trunk and was going to shoot some people who were bullying him. And I found out about it, and I took him home. I drove him home during the school day, and we put it back in his dad's gun cabinet. That's the kind of kid this was. And he told me there how much what I did for him meant to him, and now he's an English teacher at a high school and still plays the bass. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. it is. That, those kind of stories about. right there, that's what it's about. And I gave him my uh, an electric bass. I just gave, I had one, I gave it to him, and that's how he started his whole career. That's, that, that is a fantastic story. And, yeah. and I'm going to assume that when you shook your head with, with energy earlier and I asked about moments that might have, mm -hmm. might have changed it for you, that it's stories like that. Mm -hmm. Stories like that. There was a particular story I had. Uh, I was teaching middle school and high school, and we were trying to teach vibrato. I don't know why I was doing this, but I was trying to teach vibrato to sixth graders. <laughs> and um, <laughs> we were going, and I had modeled it. Uh, at the time, I was taking violin lessons from a wonderful professional here in Kansas, in Lee Summit, to try to get better. Her name's Kathy Hoagland. She's just a great teacher. And I actually, she didn't want to teach me because I was an adult and I was a teacher. And she's like, I don't belong teaching you. I'm like, I need to learn more skills on how to teach it. So I'm teaching these kids vibrato. Nobody can get it. We're going around the group. But there was this one girl who would stare at the floor, didn't appear to have any friends. She would wear pajama bottoms and slippers to school and drag her feet so you could hear her coming even through the lunch line, and she, could, she couldn't even get the correct lunch half the time because she would mumble and not look at the lunch ladies. I mean, that's how bad it was. And So I asked her to try vibrato, and she just popped out the most beautiful vibrato while nobody else could, and the class erupted in applause for her. Mm -hmm. And she looked up at everybody and smiled from ear to ear, big pearly white teeth, and her life changed that day. And she became an all-district orchestra player. Uh, she was an amazing uh, high school player and became a leader, and I saw that change happen that day. That's when I realized the power of what we do, and that moment is when I began to love teaching for what I say are all the right reasons, rather than just trying to squeeze music out of them. Mm -hmm. And you are recently retired? Yeah, two years. Two years. Uh, what, year and a half, yeah, something like that. Well, and now we will transition to, to the thing Russ teased <clears throat> earlier, where mm -hmm. we'll, we'll talk about the Lee Summit Symphony. As of the posting of this podcast, you will have had your first concert of the year. This is season 16 for the symphony. So talk, tell me a little bit now about your back with Russ mm -hmm. and how you guys are kind of 
I don't. Is it really sharing duties, splitting duties? I, are you both going to grab a baton and, and duel at the head of we the could, orchestra? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, this first concert um, coming up Saturday, uh, we are splitting it. Uh, I'm doing the first uh, half, and then uh, Kurt's doing the second half. And uh, he has written a special uh, encore that we can't reveal right now, but it's worth coming to. He yeah. wrote it out himself. He did the arrangement. And uh, it'll, it'll, it's a great program. Uh, I think all of our musicians will agree it's probably one of the hardest programs, mainly because there were two of us mm-hmm. that were putting the program together. So he picked some great... Uh, repertoire and I thought you know I'm doing a new piece that I hadn't done before and uh, I it's hard but I think the musicians have loved Mm -hmm. all of the work I see smiles Um, it's our beginning of our 16th season and I I can only think it's better I think this is the only one this year that we're planning to split Uh, I will be doing the next two and then Kurt's doing a special uh, uh, Pops program of the US, USO uh, in May. So that's how we got it started, and mm-hmm. it's going to be a great year. And uh, as far as the future, I think we're going to split next year. We're each going to do our own uh, concert. I think th- that might work out better. I don't know. This now, has worked out pretty well. Mm-hmm. When you split, are you are you each kind of bringing different um, different styles, different, different types of music? Y- yes, mm-hmm. I... Uh, we don't work the same way, but I admire watching him work. You know, I have great respect for him. And, Likewise. Uh, I have to be who I am. Mm-hmm. And, um, but we all want, the two of us want the same result. Beautiful music that, uh, you know, you were, we were talking earlier. You might, you're, gonna, you're not going to have a concert that there's uh, every note's right. And that's not what it's after, but people in the audience know when there's something that moves them. Mm-hmm. And I, so I think that's, uh, that's what I see from, from both of us. Mm-hmm. Well, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna make this kind of like the, uh, the newlywed game here a little mm-hmm. bit. You okay. talked about different styles. So well, Russ, hold I'm gonna... on, I wanted to add, is it okay if I add to what he said there? Sure. As far as, as, far as the Lee Summit Symphony is concerned and what our roles are, you know, life moves on. Uh, Russ is has been with them for 16 years and would uh, not he doesn't want out he just wants a little bit of a, a respite and also looking towards the future give me a chance to come in and uh, we in, interface together there is no timeline on that though and uh, when you think about it when you look at Russ and I musically we are stronger together than we are apart he brings something mm-hmm. very special to the orchestra especially as the founding director and I bring what I bring and together we're we're stronger than either one of us are separately so it's I think it's a really wonderful uh, situation for the orchestra. I am very blessed to be able to conduct worldwide, all over the internationally, and uh, I write compositions for many people all over the world. And so I'm kind of busy, and I would have been worried if they would have said, Kurt, we'd like you to replace Russ right now because I'm out of town <laughs> a lot. You know, so that would have worried me. So this is perfect for me. Well, I kind of wanted. I, you guys talk a little bit about your, your differences in style, and I, and mm-hmm. I think for, for those of us that Either you know have it sat in a symphony and in, in well we won't talk about that uh, in many <laughs> years but or, or the, those that are just casual fans you uh-huh. don't understand the, really the role of a conductor so 
So for the fun of it, Russ, why don't you describe a little bit Kurt's style okay. and what, what he brings as a conductor, and then we're going to have you yeah. flip the tables. Kurt. Uh, I'll do the best I can. <laughs> and then we're going to hold up a oh piece gosh. of paper. and Wild, out of control. And Kurt, He's you have Russ to gonna, see yeah. if you predicted exactly what he's going to say. <laughs> I don't know. I think when I started teaching, even though I have a real funny side to myself when I'm uh, informal, but when I started teaching, somebody told me, you know, this is, uh, you know, you have to be disciplined and this. Uh, so I take it as I'm going to work and uh, I don't want any uh, messing around. <laughs> and uh, I'm all business, e- even though I, I, I let up now and then. Kurt, on the other hand, is, is uh, a lot more um, outgoing, I think, on the podium. But as I watch him, you know, I, not that I would, I'm not going to be able to change, you know, I am who I am, but uh, I'm thinking he's getting it, the job done. I mean, the, the music's happening and he knows how to get it. And uh, it's more of an outgoing, he's louder than I am. <laughs> and uh, he uses a lot of gestures that I don't use. Um, but I think everybody in the symphony, you know, I think they like it, all of it. I mean, I don't see anybody, uh, uh, how come How come so-and-so, yeah, I mm-hmm. mean, why don't you do more? I haven't heard any of that. <laughs> now, Everybody. as someone who has only met you outside of the symphony, I, 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 I think I, they I think I, yeah. it has, I have trouble seeing him as the all down to business. Russ? Yeah. yeah. He's hilarious. But he is, when he gets in front of the orchestra, he's, he's right after it. Yeah, I, mean, I, I don't know why that precise. is. Uh, yeah. He knows what he wants. That is a totally different thing than, than our, you know, brief relationship that I have. I know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, see, I, like if we were playing that game and I was going to describe him, very precise, knows what he wants, has a particular style of music that nobody is better than him. Like if you want a Viennese waltz, you want Haydn, you want Mozart, this guy is going to give you the most clean, amazing uh, rendition of that. Beethoven, he's going to be, he, he, he's awesome and his ear is wonderful and his musical knowledge is outstanding. On the podium, uh, it's not blue collar. It's definitely white collar. I mean, he goes right after it. He, you don't even think. I can't say you're not bringing your lunch pail. You are simply dissecting like a surgeon. That's how he is, and that's how his ears are. I'm more of Johnny Carson. I'm more of a comedian <laughs> on the thing, and I, I'm what. And, and really, it's it is my personality, but it's by design. I want people to play to not avoid mistakes. I want them to have fun while they're playing, and sometimes I want them to have to play with their embouchure through a smile, uh, because <laughs> I want the joy of music to permeate what we do. And um, it's one of those things. Never run the risk of taking yourself too seriously. Uh, and, and I think there's room for both kinds of people on the podium. I do remember that you might enjoy this story. I was um, conducting the Texas All-State String Orchestra, and I was still an active teacher. Well, they hired me mostly because they knew me as a composer and the people, you know, and they knew I was a conductor, so they hired me to go down there. Well, I saw some cynicism in, in, in people coming to watch me at the first rehearsal because they're like, why are we hiring an active high school teacher to do our finest orchestra in the state? You know, what, what is this? Well, they had the orchestra set up in this big ballroom where I was conducting the orchestra, and then um, behind that was the audience, so they could see me. And so I just started doing my shtick with the orchestra, and they were just <laughs> killing it. And there were about 15 teachers that came and crossed their arms and watched the first rehearsal. 
And at the second rehearsal, I'm not kidding you, there were over 200 people there, and they were dying laughing. We had to quiet the, quote, audience down <laughs> because the way I was drawing the music out, and the, and, and the place was filled by the end of the rehearsal uh, sequence, and I, I got teacher after teacher that came up to me and appreciated what I was doing with those high-level players, getting them to play very, very, uh, you know, high-level music, but also having a lot of fun and being hilarious or... Johnny Carr. I had a guy in New York uh, when I was working with a Carnegie Orchestra come up to me and said, I come to rehearsals because it's like watching Johnny Carson teach music. Uh, <laughs> and, and for me, I, like that. I love that. That's funny. That's awesome. It is. That, that's a good compliment. You know, Russ, when he answered, said that, you know, he learned from someone early on to take kind of that mm-hmm. that more technical approach. Was mm-hmm. Was yours intentional? Did that come naturally to you? Did you were you doing a little emulating of of some people? How did that How did that style come to you? Oh no, uh, I'm not emulating anybody. Uh, I'm a sh- I was in showbiz early on. I knew what it took to hold a crowd. You know, like uh, I got I used to get to front the Tony DePardo big band or the Steve Miller band, and and uh, I knew that I had to keep the people on the dance floor be personable, and it came naturally to me, and I could sense the timing of it. Mm. Uh, um, sometimes I make mistakes, you know, I'll say something that gets taken the wrong way or whatever. I just back up and apologize and we go on. Uh, but that's the same. I don't emulate any conductor because I wasn't, uh, I wasn't really given the opportunity to study with a big conductor or kind of that, uh, I hate to say highbrow. I don't want to put it in those terms, but I didn't have that kind of upbringing. Mine came through show business. And then I, I learned, I taught myself the orchestral side as we went on. I want, to, I want to key on something Russ Russ brought up earlier, where he he was talking about this first concert and how there was a, a new piece that you hadn't done before that was a little challenging. What for for both of you? What as a conductor? What challenges you? What what I get, is it is it a is it a type of music? Is it certain composers? Are there what what challenges you? I like something that has a great melody. Um. I like to use uh, early works as well as more as contemporary. Um, so there's a history there, you know, the, that you're showing and the style in each period. I try to get different, uh, you know, try to get a variety of pieces. Then am I kind of getting on what you're after? Yeah, you know, trying so. to, um, the one I was talking is the Grand Canyon Suite and that's on the first half of the program. Uh, we're doing three movements of the five, and uh, I just heard it again on the way in today. But it's uh, one of the most beautiful pieces. And if you put the slides of what uh, Ferdi Groffet, the mm-hmm. composer, I mean, it's like being there. If you uh, and there's just some uh, beautiful spots in there, uh, but it describes a sunset. It describes a, a mule walking down the trail and then uh, the storm. You know, Beethoven wrote about the storm in his Symphony 6. Mm-hmm. We've done the same. You know, so maybe there's nothing new particularly. It's just done maybe differently. I mean, uh, later on, uh, a lot of its history repeats itself, but it, they you kind of do a lot uh, of thinking about that i think but beautiful piece when you look at as and and i guess this is i'm gonna ask this just because it's a perspective i don't understand um i only ever played one instrument i didn't play for a really long time but when you look at a piece as a conductor 
and you see all of the different sections and how it I guess tell me a little bit about how you how you piece that together so that you're telling the full story so that, so that you're doing how do you see that whole that whole window I had a t- uh, conducting teacher uh, Glenn Block that I mentioned and we had I thought one thing that helped me is that uh, you have to sing. He could tell what you were as a musician. You had to sing every part, go from one part to the next part, whatever part you think is the most important to bring out. And uh, I, I still sing it that way. Mm-hmm. I mean, in my study, you know, because uh, the, mu- the, the melody keeps moving it around. Mm-hmm. And you can teach your uh, orchestra members uh, especially in school, I suppose a lot of the Lee Summit Symphony as well. You know, what you, what's what are you listening for here? Mm-hmm. What I don't know is that kind of. I think so. Uh, now I have uh, I have a couple of responses for you. Uh, going back to the question before that, because Russ had said um, uh, I was talking about the earlier music and how he programs. Uh, this is where, as friends both of us running the Lee Summit Symphony, we are more powerful together than apart. I am just the opposite. See, I'm a, I'm a modern composer, and I have mm-hmm. a real affinity for modern music, and I will give a nod to the old music. So, for example, if I'm programming something, it's going to be predominantly modern with a, 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 what I call a standard or a historic piece also on the concert rather than what many conductors do, which is um, uh, periodic, like uh, Baroque, classic, uh, romantic, and then maybe a modern piece, a nod to the modern, I give a nod to the older, and, and, and I have it. For example, like, I can't wait to do Paul Dooley pieces with the at least Summit Symphony. Nobody knows who he is, but they will when they play his work. Amazing. Because, see, the, uh, these kinds of composers... Uh, since I'm a composer, I'm kind of in those circles and know these people, and their music is amazing, and it needs to be wider spread. And it's guys like me that can bring that because I, I studied. I'm in, I'm in that world. And it's guys like Russ that can bring the amazingness of the Beethoven and, and, and the other composers. So that answers the one question. Well, how, do you, how important is it that we keep telling those the stories about the new composers and bringing that in? Because... I think for a lot of people, when you think classical music, when mm-hmm. you think symphonies, you're thinking Bach, Beethoven, mm-hmm. that era, that 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 style. does turn you know, off so, a certain segment. So, so how people. important is it to it's keep very... community symphonies going and things like that for you, someone like you, to bring in? Hey, there are still people, and myself included, or mm-hmm. yourself, <laughs> mm-hmm. but I mean, still writing. It's hugely important to me personally because without the symphony. We're not developing music at a high level. Uh, we, we, we've lost a lot. And we also need to hear the historical pieces. But those historical pieces are not the original turn-on for the younger generation right now unless they've been trained in music. But if you hear a wild, amazing piece that combines electronics with a symphony and you're like, those sounds are palatable to me. That sounds like Planet of the Apes or that sounds like this or that sounds like Danny Elfman. I want to go hear that live. And then you also present a Beethoven symphony and they get blown away by it. They had no idea the complexity and amazingness of Mahler or Beethoven or even Bach you know, or Mozart. They, they, they fell in love with the position Mozart, that's how you begin to what I call backwards train a public so that they can be a connoisseur and appreciator of it all so that the the arts will live. Otherwise, the arts will die. 
Now, if I only programmed modern music, that's not fair. If I only programmed uh, older music, that's not fair. I just happen to be a composer, a modern composer, so I have an affinity for it and kind of an axe to grind. Here, I'll give you an example. As an orchestral composer, right, I'm known worldwide because of the publications as an orchestral composer. And if you took my uh, success in orchestral writing and transferred it to band or choir, I would be wealthy, very <laughs> wealthy, like multiple houses wealthy. But because <laughs> it's in orchestra, I'm not wealthy at all. But if you took that same ratio of success and put it in those world worlds, I'd be hugely wealthy. Why? Band directors will try new music. They want new music. Choir directors, they want the newest, greatest. Lead. Orchestra directors, no, they don't. And how do you compete with Beethoven? You know, and, and how do you compete with orchestra directors who really have one thing in mind, and that's their that's what's in their hip pocket? So I'm kind of on a crusade to educate the orchestral world. I think it's good. I, I agree with that. Uh, Kurt has brought in a new piece I wasn't oh, yeah. even familiar Sheridan with <laughs> uh, uh, that features two of our violinists. Yeah, we're doing a double violin concerto that goes over into the bluegrass realm. That's very difficult, isn't it, Russ? It's very difficult, and it sounds great. It'll it'll be a showstopper, too. Now, when you say difficult, are you saying difficult for the people playing? Difficult for you as a conductor to bring it well, out? Well, it's tricky for me, but the, yeah. the, the soloists have uh, virtuistic lines, and so does our woodwind section. They have to play. And we've got a very active percussion section on this. This is not what you would think of as if you were thinking of the Bach Double right. Violin Concerto. You know, uh, the orchestral uh, role in that would be more of an accompaniment, uplifting figure, and a uh, keep the bass line going. In this, this is an active interplay between the orchestra and them, uh, the soloists with percussion sprinkled everywhere and different sounds, and. Uh, touching up on the bluegrass. Now, if you listen to the first two movements, which we're not playing, it's not bluegrass at all. It's very serious modern music, very amazing. It's an amazing thing. Sheridan Seyfried is a professional violinist who's also a composer, and very few people in the country know who he is, yeah. and he is uh, outstanding. And so I have a network of friends and conductors uh, nationwide who are in this realm, and so I get to hear these people and be friends with them, and so I get to bring some of that to Lee Summit. And I think it's a, a really exciting infusion of music, and, and it brings something new to the orchestra. Well, let's use you were talking about the different parts and how they the, how the sections mm -hmm. are interplaying with each other. Let's use that and go back to one of those original questions for you, which was as a conductor, how mm -hmm. do you look at each of those parts? Yep. And, and 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 find the way yep. to bring it out to tell the whole story. Yep, absolutely. Uh, it's fun because I like watching e different conductors. M me personally, I will listen to, like let's say you have two different instruments playing the same line, right? Well, it's not enough to have, the, like for example, just happened last night. We had the cello section and the trombone section playing the same line. Well, the trombone section, what, there was more of them being heard than the cello section. Mm -hmm. And so I look at those two lines and I say, that's not what I want. I want a Always cello. Always want cello yeah, more. I want a cello donut with a trombone center. And so <laughs> He's I, good at those analogies. Yeah, and I tell them, good. I want to create a new instrument for the audience. And if I want a little more of one instrument than another, it's going to be called a cello bone. If I wanted trombone a little more, it'd be a trombocello. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah. And I say that, and, and especially with my younger groups, like the youth symphony, they know my terminology. So I say, I want a flute bow here. And that means I want a little more flute than oboe. Like, let's say if you took Schubert's Unfinished Symphony, right? 
I want a little more clarinet than I want oboe on the beginning of that. Mm-hmm. And I want a clarobo. Do you know that as the conductor going in, or do, does it happen as you hear them playing it when you first start rehearsals? Well, no, I know that as a conductor going in, what I want, but it's through years of listening to recordings and different conductors and, and deciding, wow, I really like what he or she did there. Ooh, I don't like that sound. Why do I not like that sound? I decide why I don't like it. Most of it, I have found personally, is in how they are expressing their doubling of the lines. When you have more than one instrument playing a line, mm-hmm. you're supposed to have created a new sound. But if you if you haven't blended those instruments in a way that creates this new sound, then you failed. It, at least that's how I feel, you know. Or if they're exactly equal, but sometimes you want them exactly equal. Like uh, many conductors want the clarinet and the and the oboe equal on the opening of the Schubert's Unfinished Symphony. I don't. I want a clarobo because I want a darker sound. Does that make sense? Yeah. Now, I, I just did that because that's what I want musically. That, but that's why you'd go hear Russ Berlin, Kurt Mosier. We'll even say Dudamel. That's why you go hear a Dudamel orchestra. Somebody could close their eyes and say, "That's a Dudamel orchestra," and, and that's why. Mm-hmm. Well, let's let's as we kind of wrap things up here. Let's let's go back to the the word you guys used earlier, the sound. I talked to Russ the last time he was on a little bit about this, and he he brought up one of his favorite pieces was was Wagner. Flight of the Valkyries, which we oh, used. Yeah. So I'm going I'm to kind of throw this to I you. I think that was going to be on the program. I, <laughs> <laughs> tell me, tell me a piece that brings that that sound to you, that that perfect sound. What what pieces do you do you go to? I love Mahler. If you Mahler, if you're talking about the older orchestral works, Gustav Mahler and Gustav Holst. Uh, their sounds and the way the way they wrote with the the ferocity and the dynamic Mahler one you know uh, the on the older side then you progress into John Williams Danny Elfman the music score writers the uh, amazing sounds and the palette and the array and the not being completely um, stuck in the the orchestral mode where we can't explore new sounds. For example, I'm writing a piece for the um, Oklahoma All-State Orchestra right now, and it's about three dust devils that turn into a tornado. And it's going to actually have sound effects with it that are played, and I, I list exactly what the software is, how it's supposed to be played, what dynamic level it has to be played, and what kind of speakers it has to be played over, so that when it's performed with the symphony, it is a tandem performing instrument. That's what I'm talking about. Uh, so, like, if you're talking about what what are pieces that I like, I steal from it. Aaron Copeland, he's one of my favorite uh, of all time. If you had to say, who is your favorite composer, or what is your definitive piece it could be Howard Hanson I don't I haven't ever thought in those terms I'm simply stealing and listening from everybody and that's normal I yeah. think a lot As of musicians a composer, do I that st- <laughs> like right now I'm working on another piece for another group out of Oklahoma again not the Allstate and it's an honoring piece of a guy who left teaching and had a huge impact but he went with a a, a band called Horseshoe Roads they're kind of famous and they're playing earthy kind of music so my piece is earthy but explores new horizons in sound through that earthy sound and so it's going to be very interesting uh for this orchestra to play it if you had to and i'm going to i'm going to have Russ answer this first mm-hmm. <laughs> cuz i i really like this concept of just the sound mhm so, Russ, if you had to describe the Kurt Mosier sound, 
He'd say plastic. <laughs> Well, I, I do like a little more of a controlled sound. <laughs> but the, the teacher but that, in him just okay. came out again. Yeah. Uh, we're doing, uh, if I can put this in real quick, uh, we're doing a tribute to uh, the 100th birthday of Leonard Bernstein, uh, opening with a candied overture, and then Kurt's doing the West Side Story. I have done that same uh, piece of music that we're, that he's using, I, I enjoyed watching him teach this in his way. We want exactly the same thing, but I like the way he ran, went about it because I really felt the crescendos. I really felt the climaxes. And, I, and he was talking about the line. I, I hear that line, and he got the sound. He just does it more flamboyantly than, than, I, than I would, but, but I, I was moved. Yeah, I've enjoyed the rehearsals, you know. He's always laughing in yeah, the rehearsals. I, like, well, he's funny. I have to quiet him down. Well, well, well it's not that yeah. bad. Here, here, here will be a, a difference. Like, if I listen to uh, Berlin Orchestra, as in Russ Berlin, it's beautiful, it's lyrical, it is not going to be out of control. Um, uh, it's going to be precise. It's just amazing. Uh, and when I, like, if I ask a... Um, for example, uh, a running joke in the symphony world is never look at the trombone section. It only encourages them. Yeah. <laughs> Have you ever heard that? Uh-huh. Well, I ask brass players to step up to the abyss of blasting and smile into it, but don't fall into it. So we're exploring the edge of a silver horn sound. Or uh, uh, we, we're leaving the copper trombone bells at home and we're putting silver ones on. To the point there's an edge where you go, is that too much? Or what is that? Because I want... Uh, at times to literally make the audience uncomfortable with the, the, the and in awe. But there are times where I want to take the audience and bring them, like we have a section of um, West Side Story. I've had to get on the string section mm-hmm. over and over, like, you're too loud, you're too loud. I want this to be a memory. Yeah. And, and, and they're, they're not used to playing it that way because hardly anybody does that. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, it's Maria. And I'm like, uh, guess what I want the most of? The plucked basses and the clave. I want the violins behind that. You it's know? beautiful. And it's a, a strange, exotic, remembering, remembrance kind of sound. And it took me a long time to get that sound with them. More, more so because they're just so used to, they're not used to doing it. I think that's the first time anybody's made me look forward to hearing songs from West Side Story. So. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Actually, You'll like it. You should feel, when you hear Maria, if they do it right, you should feel some kind of a, like a golden, teary, glassy-eyed nostalgia when you hear it. You're not going to hear somebody in your face, you know, you know you're not going to hear that. You're going to hear some kind of a remembrance. And I'm really doing that for Anybody who's maybe 40 and above, and the older you get, the more beautiful that should be to you. You are the second composer I've heard talk about Maria that exact way. The, the other one uh-huh. was uh, an interview with uh, Lynn manuel Oh, wow. Huh. That's awesome. So, Russ, Kurt, thank you both for joining me, and we look forward to hearing your sounds this season with Lee Summit Symphony. Thank awesome. you. Awesome. Thank you. talk to people about shopping local. 
the importance of shopping local. Here's one great reason about shopping local is that you know the people you're doing business with. They're your friends, they're your neighbors, they're people you go to church with, people you hang out with. There's no better example of that than today's sponsor, Bunch of Blinds. This local company is always making themselves available to help the greater community. Hey, not only are they great people in the community, but they also are great at their business. So when you need blinds or shades for your windows, interior decorating, they've got bedding, they've got headboards, all sorts of stuff. And the coolest thing, we always talk about this one, they even have some blinds that you can control with apps on your phone or with your voice to the Alexa or the Google. They are super cool. That is cool. Hey, check them out right in the heart of our city in downtown Lee Summit, Budget Blinds of Lee Summit. 239 Southeast Main Street. 